0: Well, I'm kind of excited about just a kind of a milestone for me personally. As I was telling the prayer group before church, by the way, uh, we always pray for the service before service starts over here at uh, 1030. As soon as uh, Sunday school is over, we, we come in here and we meet and we pray. And we are in Leviticus chapter 24 today, in which case there's 27 chapters in the book of Leviticus. So there's there's 27 chapters in one of the. In a very difficult in and what, in what is labeled by many to be a very dry book. But I hope we've learned if anything, it is anything but dry. But I have never really been that successful in being able to stay glued to a book long enough to preach all the way through it. Because uh, my ADD kicks in and I'm getting on something else, right? But uh, I know that the Lord has definitely wanted us to do this. And so we will have exactly uh, three chapters left after today. Which, that's a pretty cool deal. Um, It will actually end on the Sunday before we leave to go to Ireland, which I want to just speak briefly about. Um, Myself and Rich and Brian and JT will be traveling to Ireland, to Nina, Ireland, to be with Brother David McConville and Nina Baptist Church uh, there in Nina. And we are going to uh, meet their church in person. Have them meet us, have necessary conversations uh, to determine uh, how we're going to develop this long-term partnership, what they would like, what we can do, talk about all those things, and then uh, look at logistics about where we can stay when we go, what are our options. Um, I joke about it, but it's kind of a serious deal. Who's going to be the designated driver on the wrong side of the road when we go? (laughs) Because... It's one thing to take a roundabout here, but when it's all going the opposite direction on the wrong side and the vehicle's even built wrong, it's a complete mess. So um, we're going to be, you know, looking at all of that, what's the maximum number of people they can take at a time with each time, and then we're just going to be going and finding out all of that. We are we are talking about a long-term partnership with a church in Southern Ireland where uh, they have maybe 15 or 20 people, These and, and they're all former Catholic. And Catholicism was so thick on them for so long that he said they even struggle when they go to time of personal prayer because they, they don't know how to break that, that mold. And um, so there's just so much, I think, that we can learn mutually from each other because they have a complete and total dependence upon God. They are uh, the minority by far there, and so we pray, and we would ask you to pray for us as we go to, to lay down these necessary details so that we can plan a return trip in March to preempt Easter, and by the grace of God, we pray that the Lord would draw and use those labors of evangelism and distribution to draw them, and that there would be a strong church developed there in Nina. There in Ireland, which happens to be about an hour and ten minutes I think away from the from the ocean so uh, but it 's going to be so just pray for us and all those kinds of things um, there's a lot coming up, and I think the Lord is giving us more opportunity to be vessels of sharing and ministering the Word of God all right, so the oil, the bread, and the blasphemy that sounds really weird doesn 't it or you could think of it this way, the light, the flower, and the fear. Because when we read, and we will, uh, chapter 24, it's one we can actually stand and read. We see these elements at, on the page, speaking loudly, a message. And now we're going to discover what all of it meant as much as we can today in the time we have and how it ministered to them. So let us pray, or let us stand in honor of God and His Word, Leviticus chapter 24, Verses 1 through 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Outside the veil of the testimony, in the tabernacle of meeting, Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. He shall be in charge of the lamps, of the pure gold lampstand before the Lord. And what does it say? Continually. So we see continually, continually, continually. And then in verse 5 he says, And you shall take the fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be uh, on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, what's the word, continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. It shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him. From the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. Now the son of an Israelite woman, and then. So I just want to stop you. So when you're reading through verses one through nine, we understand what's happening here. We understand what these lights do. We, we, we mostly have a working understanding of what the bread is. We're going to talk about it. But then suddenly there's this other narrative that just springs in. There was an issue of blasphemy. And and it just occurs. It, it it's not a naturally flowing thing, but it just happens. So in verse 10, now we read, Now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was Egyptian went out among the children of Israel, and the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelamith, the daughter of Debris, of the tribe of Dan. Then they put him in custody, they arrested him, that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them and the Lord spoke to Moses saying take outside the camp him who has cursed then let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him then he shall speak to the children of Israel saying or then you shall speak to the children of Israel saying whoever curses his God shall bear his sin and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death all the congregation shall certainly stone him the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Whoever kills any man shall be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement upon his neighbor, as he has done, so let it be done to him, fracture for a fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. And whoever kills an animal shall restore it. But whoever kills a man shall be put to death. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country, for I am the Lord your God. And then Moses spoke to the children of Israel and took outside the camp him who had cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things. Who is the greatest teacher that we could have. That he illuminates your word to the need of our heart. To illuminate our understanding. And to magnify the name of Jesus. With whom ultimately this all has to do. And so God as we go through this today. in our very uh, poor attempt at exegeting it. And understanding it in our time. Please minister and Lord, at any moment, that you would seek to tarry us here. Then Lord, I can't imagine a better day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So that's why I called it the oil, the bread, and the blasphemy. Simply because of the way that the text is laid out. But the reason for the oil was the light. okay, And, and, and the reason... Uh, for the, the, the bread is the flour. And then finally, the reason there was blasphemy was because there was no fear. So it's pretty simple. I mean, I'm not going to be complicated because I can't be. Okay. First up, the oil and the light, verses 1 through 4. We read in verse 2, Command the children of Israel that they bring, the, uh, that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives for the light. And the reason was this, so that the light would, burn, would shine. And it wasn't just any oil, it was to be pure and pressed. And so the word pure refers to the clear oil from the first of three pressings. I remember when we were there in Israel, we went to the village, and they had an olive press, quite a contraption, and they actually put the olives in this thing, and then they would press it down, and of course they would continue to go it until there wasn't anything left pulverizing it but this was from the first three so you can imagine fresh olives being and then you it's kind of like uh you know when you uh, when you squeeze an orange it's always really cool right at first and then you just want to get all you can and it gets to be very little and you start just getting a lot of pulp in there don't you that's generally what happens so i can imagine this this beautiful clear oil beginning to come out of the pressure of the press and this was what they were supposed to take god got the best because he got the first All right. And it was free from contaminants. We don't give God our contaminated leftovers. Okay. I was talking to a young brother yesterday, and uh, the Lord has been really good in blessing him, and it's been a joy to see him grow. But he made a comment about tithing and of course everyone goes through their, their sanctification on that and, 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 and getting in a groove of that and trusting the Lord with that and it came to the question should I tithe on the gross or the net all right but he determined it's better to give God all he's got first since it all came from God in the first place <laughs> and the whole congregation said amen well we do that with things and so when we come what it, but what is the greatest thing that God would require of us that we can bring Him when we come to worship? It isn't that we want the offering boxes filled. Those are good things. It, it, isn't, it isn't even that we get so happy when every seat be filled. Most good things. What God wants is your time. This is, tip, this is technically the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, I never thought of it like that. I still have a hard time thinking like that. But technically, it is the first day of the week. So when we begin our, our, our week on the Lord's Day, we're giving Him the best first of it. Now, again, we may all think it's the tail end of last week. But it's the first of the week. And we're giving him the first of our time. We're giving him the first of our attention. We're giving him the first of our affections. So when we come here to give it, how might the vessel be? How should the vessel be presented? Are you ready? Because something else this young brother said that blessed my soul. When you're a preacher, you begin to wonder after a while if anyone's even listening right? Because you just drone on and you become like the sound machine that you sleep by at night or something. That's just brother drone. (laughs) If you listen, here's what he sounds like. But he said, you know, I got thinking. Uh Uh-oh. If I'm going to go to church and give the Lord the first of my time, I ought to prepare the night before. And I'm thinking, I've been saying that for years okay. <laughs> but it was just so good to hear that god is sanctifying this young man and he's growing in the faith because living things grow but what about it i'm going to prepare myself to give god my best and then he gave a testimony to it and said you know there's an actual difference well, Eureka, God does indeed bless obedience to him. And he is well pleased with the child that says, Daddy! <laughs> okay, I mean, I can't wait till one day my little grandson or granddaughter, when she gets a little bigger, when I can walk in the room and they just want to tackle me. I just, I can't wait, because I see some of yous, yours do that. And I'm like, I was, you know, and I'm like. You can keep your guns. Just give me that. You know, that's what I'm after. So then you try to make deals with them to do it, right? But it's just not the same. Oh, you want on the stage for a hug? Mm-hmm. But we should, give our, we should give God our very best, and it's time the church begin to think in the culture of decay that we live in. One of the beauties that we see happening in what we would call bad news for the West Western culture is definitely in decay. Other countries are growing in the faith. One thing that this has done in our culture is the devil's no longer being very shy about showing himself. And it's allowing the body of Christ to realize just exactly who she is. That means that God is doing something in the midst. That means that we realize the world we live in and we can't just lay down and be comfortable. It means there is hope, hope, hope. And I am blessed to know the God who saved me to know that His victory is sure and certain. Well, what does it have to do with the text? Since we live in such a world, how much more important... To give God our best. Our best. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. It's going to cost you. For those of you who have been Christians longer than I've been alive. I'm not telling you anything new probably. But it's going to cost you to give God your best. Do you realize that? Do you hear what I'm saying to you? It's not convenient. Ever. Case in point, and this is very, very mild and inconsequential to things that our brethren are going through in other countries to be faithful to God to give them their best. But this is at least a, an example of what I mean to a degree, small, minute. For me as a person in my life, because of the way my mind works, it's so busy, it's extra busy. I notice dumb things and I can't get my head off of it. It just You don't realize how exhausting it is for those of us who have been labeled ADD. It's, I realize it's said in jest, but it's actually exhausting. If you ever read about anybody that has the condition, it is exhausting. Because you have to keep a lid on everything all the time. So for me, to have a Bible study of, of any kind of worth and meaning, i got to get up at 4 in the morning to do it. Now, for those of you who get up at 3, just shh. <laughs> and also, we'll pray for you. But, but you have to understand. Because also, I've been up since 4. Why? Well, because I find that it's at that hour, because it's dark outside, can't see anything, and it's so quiet. Have you noticed that the early mornings like that are just very quiet? There's no distraction. There's no pressure to do anything else. I can't do anything else. I'm locked in. Is it hard to get up like that every day? Yes. But the, the fellowship is so sweet. To be able to spend two hours just in Bible study is so sweet. To pray and talk to the Lord and commune. And, and, and write down in my journal what I'm learning And just to be with the Father is something that I can't... Is it worth it? Yes. But if you don't think that way, you will never rise above where you are. So bring God your best. You're just going to have to decide. Pressed here in the text, this word is from the Hebrew verb katit, And it means to pulverize, to crush, to grind. And the particular form katit is this is found in is pass the passive form of it is beaten, or simply to beat pure. Think of this: this light represented the Lord's presence within the tent of meeting and the priests were to keep it burning continually to acknowledge His constant presence and to show their willingness to serve Him always. What we give to the Lord and what, the, what God desires to do in our lives is this. We come continually, and He provides continually. There should be no gaps in your walk with God. There should be no dim times in your walk with God. Now you may be struggling And there may be a crisis, but there's always one place you should be able to go where the light is always on. Because He's always home. Also, in Isaiah 53, 5, you couldn't help but think of it. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. And He was whipped so we could be healed. Don't you love the beauty and the consistency of what is known in, in, in theology as the analogy of Scripture? When Scripture affirms the pictures that God gives us. In John 8:12, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And I would add, and they would have it continually. And then finally, we read in Hebrews 7, as Jesus is our high priest, He is so continually. And I'll turn there and read briefly. Talking about the comparison, the typology of Melchizedek in the Old Testament to Jesus' priesthood in the New Testament. Now listen this. For this Melchizedek, in verse 1 of chapter 7 of Hebrews, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, by the way, king of Salem means king of peace, just fits everywhere, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, First being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life. But made like the son of God, there's your connect, remains a priest. And then that famous word, continually. I just think it's pretty cool. (laughs) That the scripture is so profoundly simple and loud in its consistency. I'm going to read further. Jesus being then this priest. Notice verse 11 of chapter 7. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, For under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek. And not be called according to the order of Aaron. Because we all know. That to be a Levitical priest. The only one that could serve as high priest was that from Aaron. And for the priesthood being changed of necessity. There is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. Did you see that part, though? If you didn't catch it, you just missed a huge blessing. It was quick. Verse 13. For he of whom these things are spoken. He of whom these things, these things. What things? Well, quite honestly, if, I mean, if you really want to get thorough, everything that he's talking about Melchizedek and the typology of Melchizedek, and everything we're reading right now in Leviticus Jesus is the sum total and then he says this verse 14 it is evident that our lord arose from judah of which the tribe of which tribe moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood And yet it is far more evident. I love how the writer of Hebrews says, Now open your eyes. If in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. Oh man, then this is it. But according to the power of an endless life. I really truly wish we could shout a little more in the church. Okay, I I, I think it's okay to do so. Because how can you say anything other than glory? Praise God. Glory to Christ. Continually. Richard Phillips writes on this. And I like how he puts it. Because he lives forever, Christ, there will never be a time when this great priest cannot show forth his blood that was shed for you. There will never be a time. When His prayers, there'll never be a time when His prayers will not pour forth effectual blessing upon your life as His child. And when you die and are presented before God's throne, He will be there. Pointing to the wounds He earned upon the cross. Charging your debt to the account He has already paid. His priesthood is eternal. Never ending. Securing eternal life to give to you. Christian. Stop living below your means. Now, we go back to the flour and the bread. Exodus 25, 30. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. This is where we come up with this. With this uh, bread it's called the showbread we know this from Exodus 25:30 you shall always set the showbread on the table before me always in Leviticus chapter 24 verse eight every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant I'm going to make a few comments after I read this next slide on this. the primary purpose of the table that we read about there in that last passage was to hold the bread of the presence. It was often called the bread of the presence or the bread of the face in the literal, if you just literally translated it. Which was set before the presence or the face of God. Each Sabbath, the priest would replace the loaves from the previous week with a fresh batch of bread. Exactly 12 loaves, by the way, that was 18 pounds of flour. Exactly 12 loaves were arranged in two rows of six, and these loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. These loaves were a food offering to God that was to be perpetually carried out as a covenant forever. I'm just going to be, if you say, I'm transparent. You're always transparent. Well,. When I keep reading these words here about perpetual and covenant forever and everlasting, and I look around, I'm like, well, that's not obviously true because it's not happening right now. And then there was a gap there when they went off into Babylon; they weren't able to do those things. When they came back, they picked it back up again, except this minus the ark. It wasn't in. The, it wasn't in the second temple. Got carried off. How's this work? How does this work, right? Well, I find this fascinating. These Old Testament elements are shadows of better realities that have come to the church in Jesus Christ. Shall we? Hebrews 10.1. Which case, you say, well, you've already referred to that. And I will for the rest of my dying days until I keel over in the pulpit. Amen. I want to leave a lasting memory. But it says this for the law that we just read about there in Hebrews 7. The law, the, the okay, having a shadow, it's what it's saying that we should understand it this way. I want to climb over here, okay? And not the very image of the things can never, with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach Perfect. Mm -mm. If you go on and read, we see that Christ fulfilled that. So how is it perpetually kept? He never dies, he just lives and he represents and he stands there. Who have we been grafted into? Go back to the loaves, though. you got to deal with them. There's the 12 tribes, right? We've been grafted in to them. You see? That's Bible. So Jesus, then, as the fulfillment of it all, is always there. Going on. He is the fullest expression of the tabernacle temple as the presence of God among his people. Matthew chapter 1, 23. <laughs> you all know this, but we, we miss stuff, right? Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated. God with us. Now if we say God with us and everything in that temple and tabernacle it pertained to God being in the midst of his people, remember what we've been saying, right? 24 chapters worth so far. Jesus, his Emmanuel means God with us. If that's not enough for you, through Him, God provides life to the church both now and eternally. Acts 4.12, because I don't have time to read all those references, but Acts 4.12. Nor is thou salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven, or name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. He's it, okay. The bread of the presence ultimately pointed to Jesus as the bread of heaven. Just go over, just go back to John six, and I'm not trying to just fire hose you here again, although I could. I don't want to do that. But in verse twenty two, on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, or the place where they had ate bread. Now we're getting into the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And then Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And, then he, and And then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. And then he says... Well, they said to him, what sign, because they like signs, will you perform then that we may see it and believe? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat, because they were trying to manipulate the Lord. And then Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, who does that? He is the bread of life, the true heavenly manna. And everyone who eats his flesh and drinks his blood believes in him has eternal life. Do you realize yet just how big a God we serve? Are you not amazed with humility that the Lord would set His seal upon you? It should put you on the floor. It should put me on the floor. That everything that we read in Leviticus is now fulfilled in Christ. And it's everlasting and perpetual because He lives forever. Forever. And ever, (laughs) and ever, and when we go to be with Him, it will be forever. Yes. Now, switching gears a bit, the the issue of the blasphemy and the fear. First of all, I just want to say, and I'm going to have to be quick here. Blasphemy of the name of God is a serious matter. It's even more serious when God's own people do it. But let's keep to the text. Verse eleven the Israelites' woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed, and so they brought him to Moses. And here's the name of his mom, but in Exodus twenty and verse seven, we know, and in Deuteronomy five eleven, both of these things are the same. They this is the command, the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. It's not just in what you say. It's in what you do. Nadab and Abihu profaned the name of the Lord by by offering unsanctioned fire. Elsewhere we see that people would do things and it would be referred to as profaning the name of the Lord, such as offering children to what we would call a proto-abortive practice. Okay, And God would refer to that as profaning His name. But I didn't know this, and this will help maybe to understand a bit. And this is from David Brown and Fawcett and some of their commentary. A youth of this half-blood, his father was Egyptian, mother was, was, was Hebrew, having quarreled with a native Israelite, vented his rage in some horrid form of impiety. It was a common practice among the Egyptians, now this is key, to curse their idols when disappointed in not obtaining the object of their petitions. So, if Ra didn't make it right, then Ra, Ra, and then they just got mad at Ra and said things and made jokes. And, bla- and, and so they would profane the name of their gods. That was just a thing you did. It was just what you did. The Egyptian mind of this youth thought the greatest insult to his opponent was to blaspheme the object of his religious reference. He spoke disrespectfully of one who sustained the double character of the king as well as the God of the Hebrew people. And as the offense was a new one, he was put in ward till the mind of the Lord was ascertained as his disposal. And what did God say? He must die. And they all gathered around and they, all those who heard him gathered around and, put, and they stoned him. So here's the thing about blasphemy. When you speak it, Someone hears it. When they hear it, it lodges in their brain. The flesh, being wicked like it is, thinks it's just been given more proof why it's okay to disrespect the God of heaven and earth. Thereby, you have now become a provocateur of that person to engage in blasphemy as well. So then you have a whole chain reaction of blasphemy against the God of heaven and earth. You have become an enabling vessel to encourage cursing God. You say, it's just once. Do you, do you know how many times in the history of the human race, people got into trouble and said, well, it was just once. But more to the point, when you act in a certain way, and you portray Christ as the Christ of our home, and you fill it full of sin and iniquity, and people come over, they don't know Him, immediately, though they may not tell you, but by virtue of the example you're presenting, they do what this Egyptian youth has done, and they malign your Christ. You see? There's no gray area. What you permit, you promote. Tell me I'm wrong about that one. We're coming up on a season where evil is going to run rampant. I have very strong feelings about Halloween. But I want to say this. When evil and darkness and witchery are what you lead with and you claim the name of Christ... What part has light with darkness? Can you answer that? Because the scriptural injunction for you is abstain from all appearances of evil. And should you say, but I love it. And I'd say, who do you love more? Who are you trying to promote? Because I'll tell you, it's going to get even more difficult to remain distinct. There's more we could say here, but blasphemy doesn't always happen with just words, it's your attitude saying you know Christ we've all been guilty and so I cling to the cross. And I, and I thank God that He has such richness that He can forgive me a cracked vessel and then put me back together and say, it's okay, son. I bore that too. But I, I fight daily to not make it worse There's a huge pile of rubbish gathering in the conscience of our culture and God's going to burn it. And it's all offensive to Him. God forbid that I should add one contributing log to that fire. So, I try to die daily. And I trust he'll kill what's left. <laughs> I, I don't want to make the pile bigger. Because already you can see it from space. Church. We have much to pray for. but We have much to be thankful for. Because he who began a good work in you will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. And though you've been maybe messed up. And, and had your affections confused. And you've been off into some of these things. If you're truly a born again child of the living God. You will cease. Because God will see to it at some point, And he will pull you back from that. And show you the wickedness of it. And the error of your way. And then you can praise and glorify God. By saying look what I was thinking now. What was I thinking? And now look here's where I'm thinking. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel that Christ took your place on that big pile that needs to be burned.